I strongly recommend you keep your Bibles open to Micah 1. Uh, it's going to be interesting. As I stand before you, I'm going to have to admit something right now. Um, sometimes when a pastor speaks before a congregation, he's terrified, and there's good reason for it. Uh, what I have to say today is infinitely more glorious than I can possibly tell you, which is interesting because I have to tell you. There is a message here in Micah, in the midst of some very extreme statements, like some very, uh, you, you've just heard them, right? They're, they're not exactly the most uplifting statements you could possibly imagine, are they? I mean, uh, some of you might be uplifted by them. I think you're kind of crazy because they're not uplifting statements for the most part. And yet, in the week that I've had behind me, as I've looked into the Word of God and as I've heard what hopefully God is t saying, I, I, I hope this is honest, I have seen something that I believe changes the way we live. It changes the way we think. It changes the way we see the world around us. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of drag you through the system of what, what happened. You see, last week, you remember last week, we had Easter. Easter is like the top celebratory day of the Christian year. Jesus Christ is, is risen from the grave. We are seeing the salvation of God worked out before us. It is amazingly, stupendously wonderful good news that we see on Easter Sunday. And the problem I had on Easter Sunday, and, and I can admit this to you, you're my brothers and sisters in Christ, you're not going to... You're not going to come after me or anything, I hope. I was kind of meh. Like, it didn't really strike me as all that important, all that amazing. It didn't strike me as the most amazingly stupendous good news that's possible, which is weird because it is. So I had some work to do. I had some thinking to do. You see, and, and this is where I'm going to be going. My eyes so often are broken. My spiritual senses dulled by the way that I go through the world, by the things that I see around me, by the things I live among. I don't grasp just how monumentally amazing it is that we are reconciled to the God of the universe. And even as I say that, my words are limited. When I say the God of the universe, I'm not talking about an abstraction. I'm talking about the one who from heaven's speaks glory day by day. If you look up into the night sky and you see all of the stars, he put all of them 
into place and has named each and every one. That's the God of glory we are reconciled to. As we right now think about the billions upon billions of subatomic particles that are interacting together right now to keep us functioning, to keep this universe in place, the strong nuclear forces and the weak nuclear forces interacting together right now so that matter itself can function. He upholds it by the word of his power. That God. That's the God we're reconciled to. And yet, I don't see it. So often, I'm, I'm blinded to it. I just go about the day as if nothing is amazing. And the problem is, everything is amazing. Right now, I'm standing in a room full of people created in the image of that God. You think you're sitting next to perfectly ordinary people. If you do think that, you're wrong. There's no such thing. A perfectly ordinary reflection of the God who created the universe. That's what you're sitting next to right now. Every single one of you. Can you imagine that? And yet, so often, I, I'm flippant to you. I find it easy. The barista who serves me coffee in the morning that I am snippy with is created in the image of the God who set galaxies into place. if you really grasp kind of a, even a, a small segment of that, it silences you. It makes you look at things a little differently. And that's, that's one of the reasons why I, I, I wonder why I'm so blind. You see, the good news isn't that you are made in the image of God. The good news isn't that you are glorious. The good news isn't, that, isn't even merely that you are saved from your sin, though it is all of those things. You are saved for the glory of an infinite God. You and I, all of us, if you have faith in Jesus Christ today, you can be reconciled to an infinite, beautiful, lovely God for whom you were created. See, that's another thing that makes the blindness kind of strange. You see, you were created for a purpose. I was created for a purpose, all of us. God has been interacting with the universe for all eternity to bring about a sign, a foretaste, an expression of his glory that we might rejoice in it for all eternity. yet we don't see it. The good news is that that is the God 
we can enjoy for eternity. And yet so often we're bouncing around with all sorts of other things. I spent three hours last night just watching YouTube videos as if that was a good use of the time of a creation, creation, an entity created in the image of God to glorify him forever. And, and I, I'll admit, I kind of enjoyed it. But yet, it's just a sign of how blind I can be sometimes. We live in a world right now that will tell us that absolutely anything else is more important than the God of the universe. It happens all the time. Your job is more important than the God of the universe. It'll, it's it's going to take your time, and so you need to focus on that as if that is the most important thing. Your uh, identity, whatever that is, and we have a staggering number of identities in the world right now. People will tell you that that's the way you can get joy, by understanding and, you know, just expressing your identity to the world around you. That joy is available in what car you drive, what stuff you buy, what food you eat. I mean, you've watched the commercials. All of those things tell you that this is the way that joy is to be found. And yet, we are created in the image of God. We are created to give glory to God for all eternity. We are created for the glory and majesty of God. We aren't going to find our, our focus, our joy, anywhere outside of that. I'm not the first one to notice this, by the way. This, the Bible is pretty much rife with it. Augustine, in his confessions, just put it in, his first, in the first chapter. Lord God, you awaken us to... It's, the confessions, by the way, is written as a prayer. And, and Augustine writes this. You awaken us to the delight in, the, in your praise, for you made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. Is it any surprise then that as we look into the world and as we see the ways that people have set things out and the ways that we imagine that we can gain our joy, that joy is more fleeting today than it has ever been? We are the most freakishly wealthy people to have ever walked the earth. I mean, if you think about the things that we have available to us, there has never been richer people than us. Elon Musk is richer than us now, but anybody who before this, no chance. Things that we can do now were never available to people before us. And we can be entertained 24-7 if we want to be. There is no way any of us can watch to the end of any of the streaming services that you can buy. We have immense amounts of things available to us. If you want information, you can open the phone in your pocket and get access to all the information of all of humanity 
in seconds. We are very, very freakishly blessed. And yet, we have more depression now than we have at any other point in history. More people today just have a a failure to see goodness and justice and righteousness and value in their own lives than ever before. Might I submit that it's because I'm not the only one who's blind. I am not the only one with spiritual dulled senses. Psalm 37 verses 3 and 4 puts it this way. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Great joy is available to us. And and I don't want to be flippant about it, but it's infinite joy that's available to us. It's available to us at every moment of every day for the entirety of eternity. And yet we find so many other things that are more valuable. You see, the ultimate problem is as for the people in the time of Micah chapter 1, we are idolaters. I'm using this in a technical term. I don't mean that you guys all have you know, golden calves in your house that you bow down to. At least I really hope not. That'd be really weird. But for the most part, we honestly believe that we are the center of the universe. I, I know that if I talk to you about it and, you know, I sit you down in my office and you say, uh, you know, what is the center of the universe? You'll give me the right answers. You've been coming to church for a while. You probably understand what the right answers should be. Generally speaking, we find it so easy to grade the universe, the world, based on ourselves. I mean, just think about it. So often we have questions about the Bible and about the way that God sets up his world, and the way we want the answers is we want to be satisfied with what those answers are. As if God has to sit in the dock for us. We imagine that joy is available in all sorts of places other than God. And that's why you see things like Micah chapter 1. Micah chapter 1 is designed to open your ears. It's designed to show you the truth. that there is something greater than this, that there is a world that you're missing. There's a world that we're all missing unless we turn our eyes towards God. There is a world that we miss because our sin separates us from God. And we medicate that separation with all sorts of other things. And in medicating the the separation, we can sometimes convince ourselves that there isn't a God there or that God doesn't care or that God is some kind of thing that we can control. 
which is exactly what the people of Israel had done. Micah is an interesting book because as a prophet, Micah is writing to both sides of the Israelite split. I've told you about this before. How Israel split between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom more openly uh, rebellious to God. You know, they, they, they they separated and for hundreds of years they've followed an alternate God. They've put, they've put these uh, calves in a couple of different places in the northern kingdom and they go to those and call them their gods. But they still have a lot of the same books of the Bible and they still call, they call this the true religion. And then the south in Judah, they've been a little bit better. They've been following the, true, the, God, the Bible as, it, as they see it and they've, they've kind of had the temple and they've been following that. But in both cases, they've found themselves in a situation where they're creating gods in their own images. They're trying to figure out how to live the life, to set up the world based on their own, their own understanding. And both sides believe they're pretty good. Like Christians who sit in church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, you know, just trying to figure, trying to read the Bible as a way to medicate uh, our own personal problems, they imagine that things are going pretty good. I mean, sure, they're not the most holy they could be. Sure, they're not actually following all of the things they want, they think to. But, you know, we're pretty good. And then... The word of the Lord comes to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. By the way, Jotham and Hezekiah are both godly kings, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you. The Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and he will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. Uh, High places of the earth generally refers to religious kinds of places. People imagine that if uh, higher you go on a mountain or a a hill or a, a tower, like, you know, a tower in Babel, you imagine you're closer to heaven and thus more holy. And the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a, a steep place. All this for, is for the transgression of da- Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards, and I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images will be beaten into pieces, and all her wages shall be burned with fire, and her idols I will lay waste. For from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. Sometimes the best thing that can happen to people who are caught in their own righteousness, their own imagination, imagined righteousness is for somebody to stop you and say, 
It's not okay. This is not enough. This is not what you were designed for. This is not what we're for. That's what Micah is doing. God bless Micah, because the people around him certainly won't be. There's a reason, by the way, why minor prophets are very rarely preached in churches. It's because they're depressing. And yet they shouldn't be. Because they're designed to speak into our lives, to make us stop and look and see who God is and what is actually offered us in Jesus Christ. It's not merely that you have your best life now. If you have your best life now, you're headed to hell. It's not merely that you would have friends. It's not merely that you would have an understanding of goodness and mercy. It's not merely so that people would like you and, you'd, and you could, have, you could you know, dress up in a nice suit and stand before other people and preach. Brothers and sisters, we are set for great glory and we have been blind to it so often. And so in the midst of that, yes, God speaks judgment. He continues, Micah 1, 13 and 14. Harness the steeds to the chariots inhabitants of Lachish. It was the beginning of the sin to the daughter of Zion. For in you were found the transgressions of Israel. Therefore you shall give parting gifts to Moresheth Gath, uh, Micah's hometown, the houses of Asib shall be deceitful thing to the kings of Israel. God is looking at the ways that the people of Israel have stood apart from him and have tried to avoid him. And he's saying, I am going to throw them down. Stop relying in things that cannot help you. Stop relying in the things that keep you from the ultimate joy that you, that you can have. Stop seeking immediate, immediate gratification when ultimate, infinite joy is offered to you. And God is saying he will grant the people of Israel the mercy, yes, the mercy of destroying their idols. You see, physical, temporal correction, we who kind of live on the physical plane and imagine we, we, we don't quite say it this way because we all go to church. If we didn't go to church, we'd probably say that, you know, this world is all there is and, and you know, that's, that's just the way it is. The problem is we kind of live like that anyway. But there is something worse than losing your temporal benefits, than losing physical goodness. What good is it if God allows us to have our comfort now and keeps us from himself for eternity? What good are moderate, immediate joys if we lose eternity for its sake? 
God provides a mercy to strike down the things that keep us from him. Brothers and sisters, it is better to face the correction of God and be shown your need to repent than to remain deceived about godliness. That's what they're finding out. You don't want to be what Paul describes in Romans 9, 22-24. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for the vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. Brothers and sisters, you don't want to be an object of wrath. Not eternally. You want to be the objects of mercy. Brothers and sisters, weep for the people who who find themselves in comfort all the time and never understand their need for God. Weep for them. Brothers and sisters, as we today face our lives, be thankful that you have the opportunity to see God. You see, temporal judgment itself is a mercy of God. A sin that you've been told of, you can repent of. A sin that you see can be turned away from. A sin that's, that's keeping you from God, that's that's defeated by Christ, you can walk away from. As it says in Psalm 119, I'm going to be reading a a sizable section. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. You see, the good news we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't that we're created in the image of God. That is true, by the way. That is a scriptural truth. You are created in the image of God. But that is not the good news. The good news of the gospel is not that you can have meaning and acceptance in the church and in the fellowship of believers. That is true, but that is not the good news. The good news, what was purchased on the cross a week ago Friday, what was shown to be the truth a week ago today is that you can be reconciled to the God of the universe. You can know the truth of what it is to know infinite joy. God holds out to you infinite, eternal joy in knowing who he is, in worshiping him, in being in fellowship with him. As it says in Psalm 16 11, you've made known to me the path of, of life. In your presence 
there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. You see, God's discipline is a sign of his love. He will be ruthless in rooting out the things that keep you from himself. Praise him for that. As it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 and 8, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. Uh, If you are worried about inclusive language, that means sons in the sense of people who can be heirs legally in in the time. So God is treating you as heirs, as children, as his people, as the people he would love. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. But let's be clear. I am not trying to minimize punishment. The fact is, what's happening here in Micah, what will be happening to the people of Israel, will be very painful. It will be. Interestingly enough, you can see what your heart is based on the way that you respond to the way that God is punishing around you. We are looking at real suffering. God's punishment for sin is not a mild thing, even if he's only doing the temporal stuff. In Micah 1, 15 and 16, it says to this, I will again bring a conqueror to you, inhabitants of Moresheth. The glory of Israel shall come to Adullam. Make yourselves bald and cut your hair for the children of your delight. Make yourselves bald as an eagle, for they shall go from you into exile. I, I, I don't have kids. It's unlikely at this point that I'm ever going to have kids. But I can't imagine a worse thing than to watch the children that I delight in and know that they will have a worse life than I will. I think most parents are opposed to that. Most parents would hate to see that. And that is exactly what Micah is promising to people. And so, what is the right reaction then when you see this? You see, I'm not going to tell you that you need to rejoice in the way that people are are punished and have suffering. Micah's reaction is not to rejoice at the judgment to come. He laments. He says in verses 8 and 9, For this I will lament and wail, I will go stripped and naked, I will make lamentation like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches, for her wound is incurable. And it has come to Judah, it is to reach to the gate of my people, to Jerusalem. You see, Micah is saddened by the way that the problems that are going to come upon Israel and Judah are going to happen. He's saddened by it. And he laments, and it's right to lament. That's why, as was referred to earlier in Romans 12, 14, and 15, Paul admonishes us to bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Notice the context there. Micah is speaking to people who are sinning, and they don't know they're sinning, and they don't care they're sinning at some points. We all know that kind of people here in the world that we live in, don't we? 
we are conservative Christians. So there are people who don't really like what conservative Christians have to say. I, I read an article in Global News this week about how the majority of Canadians would say that evangelicalism, I am an evangelical, unapologetic about it, but evangelicalism is a bad thing for society. People already believe that. And they believe things that are probably going to hurt them. I hate to say it, but, and I'm probably going to get recorded for this and get doxxed or something. But anyway, the way that the world follows their joy is going to end, end poorly. You can't tell nature that it's wrong and expect to live a happy life. And yet that's exactly what our society does. We imagine that I get to define reality for myself and it's just not true. And unfortunately, reality will come up against people. People will face reality and it won't be happy. But we as Christians should not be people rejoicing at that. We should not be rejoicing that people are going to find out that medical science has not advanced so far as to make you acceptable to yourself. People are going to wake up one day and find out that the beautiful body they had created with plastic surgery or with uh, the joy that they had had with drugs or the love that they've had for alcohol or overconsumption or whatever, whatever your poison is, they will wake up someday and find out that it is empty. And in that day, if they have put all of their hope in that, they will lose all their hope. We should not rejoice that that is the case. Rather, we should be a people ready to tell them the truth. Beg them to see the truth. The wicked will fail. I mean, this, that, that's the world we live in. I, I've read the end of the book, God wins. It always happens. He is not mocked. There is no way we can stand against God in any meaningful way and win. It doesn't happen. But we have to let people know that. We need to not be people who are busy saying, oh, well, they're going to be destroyed, and so we're happy about that. We're not. We should never be happy about that. As Micah says in 10, verses 10 to 12, tell it not in Gath, weep not at all. In Bethlehem, uh, roll yourselves in the dust. Pass on your way, inhabitants of Sephir, in nakedness and shame. The inhabitants of Zanon do not come out. The lamentation of Beth Ezel shall take away from you its standing place. For the inhabitants of Moroth wait anxiously for good, because disaster has come down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. 
brothers and sisters, God still reigns. He still rules. He has not stepped down from his throne. He won't. But here it is. We don't live as people in the judgment of God. That was the point of what happened last week. That was the point of Jesus rising from the dead. What we see in Micah is a possible end. It is. If we will stay, keep going in our rebellion to God and our unwillingness to see him, this is the end of that. But because of Jesus Christ, because of the fact that he died the death that we deserved after living the life we couldn't live, or more or worse, the life we simply didn't live, he defeated sin in his body that we might be defeating sin in ours. We don't need to live separated from God today. If you don't know the blessing of Jesus Christ, you don't need to spend another microsecond away from him. You are, sa- you are able to be saved just by turning to him in faith. You see, you, there is something seriously wrong with humanity. Sin is a very serious problem. But let me tell you, there is a very serious solution to that problem. That God who created universes, who upholds reality by the word of his power, that God, okay, this is going to be kind of trippy, so just put on the trippiness hat. That God sent God into the world. This is what theologians will call the Missio Dei. God sent God into the world to save us, that in saving us, we might be filled with God. And in being filled with God, we might walk in newness of life. Our lives changed to be more like his wondrous life, that as we are slowly sanctified, we are made more into the image of Jesus Christ. By the way, just in case you're not a Trinitarian, I'll explain. God the Father sends God the Son to live the life that God the Holy Spirit might fill us, allowing us to live in his, in his obedience. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20 and 21, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Do you find that your spiritual senses are dulled like mine are? Actually, they're getting better. It's, it's, it's kind of interesting. Do you find that? Be reconciled to God. That's been purchased for you right now. You don't need to wait. You can turn to God now and let your spiritual senses be opened to him. Pray for that. 
Do you find yourself today trusting in all sorts of things that aren't going to help you ultimately? Things that you may even right now recognize aren't helping you very much. You, you work so hard day by day and imagine that, this, that someday, someday I'll be able to retire and this will all go away and everything will be fine. And then once you retire, you'll find out that you retired to nothing and so you have nothing left to live for. You can repent of that. God created you for a purpose and it's not merely to be a wage slave. Yes, you should do work. Yes, that's, that's important. But it's not the reason you live. It's not the reason you're here. Have you been busy putting your strength and your value in the relationships you have with your boyfriend or girlfriend, husband or wife, mother or father, child, whatever? Those are good relationships, noble relationships, things that are beneficial and gifts of God, but they can't replace God. Repent and turn to God. Trust in Him. Have you been trusting today in your own self-righteousness? Imagining that other people are just not as holy as you are and they should just be a little bit more like you so that they can be perfectly holy. Repent of that and point them to somebody who actually is holier. Namely, Jesus. And you see the blessing, the wondrous blessing that comes from this is Micah 1 does not have to be our story. Our story isn't the end of Revelation. If only you would turn to Jesus Christ and trust in him. Let's pray. Lord God, it is so frustrating that I don't have words. I pray that by your Holy Spirit you've been opening eyes to the glory that you have through your word today. Lord God, may this trembling, stammering tongue have shown at least a little bit of your glory. May you have placed this amazing gift in a jar of clay today that people might see that this all-surpassing power, this all-surpassing goodness is in you and not in, a, in me or anyone else here. Lord God, may we trust in you and most especially in your Son, Jesus Christ, through whom we have the victory. God's people say, amen.